Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365 and Link or Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on Saturday, January the 31st, 2015, and I'm your host, Exchange MVP, Steve Goodman. On today's show, as always, we'll be talking about the latest developments in the Microsoft UC world, including the top stories and taking a deep dive into Skype for Business video interop server. But before we begin, here's a bit of information about our wonderful sponsors who make it a little bit easier to bring you this podcast. This UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime for Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial now at www.adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at Team Instant. And this UC Architect UC Architects episode is also sponsored by eNow. eNow is offering all UC Architect listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install Mailscape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. eNow's award-winning dashboard help admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscope's free 21-day trial. Get a free $50 gift card and see how eNow makes admin life simplified. Simply visit the link in the blog post to sign up. So that's that's the business done, and let's get straight in. So uh, I'm joined uh, by a small cast this week, uh, just John Cook and Starley Hansen, uh, but they've both got personalities big enough to make up for the absence of everyone else. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Hi. Good, thank Quite you. Intro. <laughs> Thank you. In case, case you love the commercial stuff. <laughs> I do. I do love it. Uh, <laughs> you, you have to, don't you? <laughs> uh, so, uh, on today's show, we're going to go straight into the top stories. Uh, we're not going to mess around. Uh, I'm, I know you guys are both fine. Uh, we've had a bit of a chat before the show. Uh, a, a few of us have either had a drink or got a drink in hand. So if you're if you're listening in the car, don't join us in that. But if you're listening at home on a quiet evening, maybe crack open a bottle of beer or wine or, or, or whatever takes your fancy. Uh, and listen away. And hopefully uh, we won't drink too much during the course of the show. Uh, so, top stories this week. Outlook for iOS and Android has been released. That's different to the OWA app. Uh, it's it's uh, it was mentioned kind of in the last show, uh, and they've had quite a quick turnaround, changing a company into uh, basically uh, a rebranded product. Uh, so, what do you think, John? Do you think they should have released it for both iOS and Android, or waited for a little while? Well, no, I actually I think, like I said uh, on Twitter, I mean, I, you know, I, I used the Comply. The only thing I, that I had beef with the Comply was its backgrounding was not particularly great. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'd be sitting there with the phone on and open, and like, you know, I'd get an email, and three seconds later, all the emails would come in on Comply. You know, and I'd get a second, you know, a second notification for each mail, and it was kind of annoying. So I kind of stopped using it, and then. Um, when they released the uh, Outlook, uh, that's the one piece. I mean, almost everything is pretty much exactly the same as it was in a comp but that's one thing that seems like they've really fixed um, uh, because now it's, like, on the money. And I actually, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I actually turned off all the notifications on the default mail app on iOS 
and now Outlook is in my actual in my you know my little tray of my you know critical apps. That's a big deal, you know, for me. <laughs> a, so I, I have a, a lot of issues with notifications with it at the moment. So I'll see two notifications when I've only got one message. So, yeah, I mean because of the default mail app. Now I, I just turned off I turned off uh, notifications no, for the default mail app. I, I removed the active sync connection apart from contacts uh, and. I think I had to switch back on calendars, uh, but no, the the app uh, icon itself had two uh, two pinned mail notifications. Oh, I see. I open it up; um, it's only got one. Uh, so, so I, I think it's good that they've released it. Uh, Stolo, have you given it a go yet? No, I haven't. Uh, but uh, I really see the need for this because I tried the native uh, app, email app on Android. Yeah. Ew. And it was it wasn't good enough. So <laughs> no, I need terrible. to get a third party uh, app, uh, and and this will probably solve my problem, right? Yeah. So Touchdown has f- for a long time been the go-to app. Yeah. And of course, it works without any any middleware, which perhaps we should mention in a moment. Uh, but that was bought by Symantec last year. So you know, obviously Microsoft weren't able to get their hands on Touchdown, which was but by far the the best app for Android uh, for mail synchronization. Supported tons of active sync policies, so that that would still be sort of my go-to if you really didn't like the stock Android app, uh, because you know th- this this feels like it needs a little more uh, before it's before it's ready to replace what I've got. Uh, and this 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 app in in my eyes is not an Office 365 companion app; it's an app for everybody. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, in some ways, I mean, the only thing, the only thing I, I think is lacking right now is just I wish I could change the font because you know it's not as, it's not as iOSy as as the native client. But that's my only real beef. I mean, I've been using, like I said, as soon as it came out, I've been using it as my main app. And you know, we know, we know how a big fanboy I am about iOS. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a weird thing for me to actually switch using the. I mean, it's you know, not and um, they use the the the, the, the native app. And I will say, it, it, in some ways, it, it it really excels past the native app because uh, one of the things you can do is change the behavior of the swiping. Do we be yes. whatever you want? Which I think is totally boss because I love, you know, I like I just change it to swipe to move because I'm, you know, I'm I'm always like like moving conversations to folders, you know, I'm just that kind of guy. So it's really cool for me. Like instead of like hitting a drop down move, I can just swipe and then move a conversation down to a folder. I, I love it. I can't say good enough about it. Yeah, so. yeah. So so I do the same thing. I I literally. Uh, once I've finished with something, uh, I usually just sort of archive it off. Uh, so I'll just click archive, and I can't do that with without a company and well, the Outlook app, and I can't do it with the native app. So I, so yeah, I, I see that the, the benefit of that. Uh, the native app isn't perfect either. It does lots of things well, but particularly on the iPad, I found that if I've got new messages uh, and I open up the app, then it doesn't always scroll to the top. It scrolls like halfway down, even if I was at the top last time I used it. it, it so it's the the native app isn't perfect by a long, long way. Uh, so the some things that aren't perfect about the the app, uh, the Outlook app though, are the threading order. Have you found any issues with that? I don't know if I have. No. What have you seen? Uh, so if you if if you look at the latest message uh, in a thread, it shows it at the top. Uh, so it shows the list of messages. It shows the first message, uh, the, ah, yes. the newest message at the top. Then when you look at the thread, the newest message in the thread is at the bottom. The bottom, yeah, that is weird. You're right, uh, absolutely. And, and that's kind of weird. And the other thing is, it, it merges in like a thread shows all the messages. So I, I thought it was sending two messages at once uh, when I when I first used it, but it's not sending two messages. It's showing the sent item 
and the received item to the DL in in the thread, uh, which is kind of weird. So it puts in all the messages together rather than showing that folder. Or if someone replies uh, out of the DL and replies directly to me, then it still shows that in the same thread, uh, which kind of is weird. Uh, so it's it's got some weird issues. Actually, I've got a whole list of those. <laughs> Uh, where I think you know that they need yeah, to. Yeah, but but that isn't perfect in Outlook either, right? So uh, you you get your sent items and you get your. Uh, it depends on what folder you you order them in, and and that's not perfect in Outlook either. Yeah, that's 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 true. However, it makes it a bit different. So if you are looking at a thread in Outlook, it uh, grays out stuff that's not in the same folder. So you can see what's in the folder that you're looking at, what's in the, the thread in that folder, and then replies and things like that are, are grayed out in the, the list. So it does a slightly better job. And I suppose, you know, having a look here, I expand a thread, and the newest message is at the bottom. Uh, but it, in Outlook, it feels more natural. Uh, it doesn't feel quite as natural on the, on, on the phone or, or tablet, if you see what I mean. Uh, perhaps I'm just too used to the, uh, to, to the native app. Well, one thing that threw me too was, uh, you know, when you when you want to take, you know, so the, the, if anyone hasn't used the app yet, there's a it, it does a uh, kind of a, a triage of mail, which is kind of cool. So it basically takes like you know things that things that are important and puts them in the focused view, and then it moves other messages like you know things that it's not like a it's not like a junk mail thing, but things that like clearly it, 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 you know things that are like you know like, like um it's uh, like clutter uh, light. Yeah, it's like okay. So I like say like a, an example one that gets put into others like a, like ZDNet, you know, daily ZDNet. Hey, we're reviewing this laptop, whatever that goes into others. And, you know, it's clearly saying, hey, this is probably something you don't want to look at. It's not always perfect, but when you go to move it back, you can move any message back to focused, and it says, would you like to also create a rule? And I'm like. Is this actually going to create a rule in Outlook? So, you know, I mean, the, the, the naming is a little weird because if you're like, you know, if you're yes. an old school exchange yeah. guy, you're like, wait, are you creating an Outlook rule for every time I move a message back? You know? Yeah, well, uh, there's obviously there's a lot of tweaks I think they've, they've got to do. I mean, they've done well to bring in this startup. Uh, but when it was a startup on its own, it was amazing. But when you look at it in the context of a, an application that's come from Microsoft, uh, it, it looks like it needs a little bit more polish. Uh, and they, to be fair, they say they're, they're going to release app updates approximately every two weeks. So th this is the thing: is that if they waited six months, everyone would be like, "What? What's happened to our company? They bought it and done nothing with it." People would be complaining because they've done the right thing and sort of brought it out straight away. Then, th then they've also got the flack for that as well. Uh, but so it's, it's. I, I think it's at the moment it's fair to say it's a preview. Uh, however, it's only labelled as a preview on Android. Uh, but it's in my eyes, it's still it, it's yeah, it's it's still preview status for corporate use on 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 iOS. Uh, I think there's there's a lot they need to to improve. Well, along those lines, I, I, I uh, there's just been some you know different flack. Well, you know, basically, you know, there's the same old applies about how to block it if you want to block it. Um, I think Paul wrote an article and, and a couple of the people on how to block it. But uh, yeah, so we'll those Gegenbarth, I'm not sure if I got his name right, but he, there was also, he did a good post, I think we'll put a link up to, like, one of the things that it's 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 not obvious is that it's on um, uh, uh, AWS, um, Amazon's web services right now, and obviously that's not, I'm, I'm guessing that's not going to last. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to go on Azure or something at some point. Yes, but obviously, so I, I'd imagine so. Yeah, you'd think, right? <laughs> but it's I, I had no idea that that was the case. So that's you know one of the things that you've got to think of if you're going to install it. And from a corporate aspect, I mean, you are putting your creds on 
on the server, so to speak. You know what I mean? And uh, obviously yes. some com- people won't be comfortable with that. But you know, obviously, we did it when it was a comp lie. And how many other apps did you, you know, Whoa. give your, your your creds to? You know, that's think, <laughs> that's always a risk, right? It. So uh, it, it's also aimed at home people's email as well. So it's, if you're an Outlook.com user, on the announcement, uh, what one of the the what one of the marketing managers for the Exchange Group. Uh, John Autumn was replying to people saying my mom's having problems setting up this app the audience is massive for this app and it's not just corporate right. users in fact the Office 365 and Exchange users are going to be the, the small number uh, if you think about all the people who are on Outlook.com this is in a way going to be the app for them that they install for uh, the equivalent to uh, the, the equivalent to the, the Hotmail app that, that was there before so I think this is going to this is going to be the, the go-to app for consumer use as well so that they that they are already storing their creds in a in a service hosted in america who you know so it's not a big issue for them uh, but it is an issue for office 365 customers uh, who are outside of the u.s and an employee who's thinking about downloading an app from the app store and just changing uh, the device setup is, is going to know whether or not their their, their employer is going to be pleased about that. And well, the ask. biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, uh, well, two things. The, the biggest uh, and coolest feature, I think, is the ability to add and start. A, and this is going to sound like how, how how sad and you know, in some way, like, as much of an iOS fanboy I am, how pathetic is it? I still cannot start a message and attach a file. That is just, it's like, good God, it's 2015. Apple, please. So in this Outlook app, you can grab, you can, you can add, you can uh, add uh, both a OneDrive and and. Um, and Dropbox, whatever that was the second thing I was going to say, is that that's totally cool. That Again, Microsoft is being very cool about being very open and touching you know, many platforms. They didn't just, just do OneDrive. They also did Dropbox, which I, I use, but like not nowhere near like I do OneDrive. But it's so cool to me now. I was like, oh, I want to email my resume or something. You know, I could just actually <laughs> start a message and attach my resume from OneDrive and send it to somebody. How amazing is that, right? Yeah, so you've got so, so at the moment you've got OneDrive, uh, Google Drive, Dropbox, uh, Box.com. Oh, so you can do, yeah. You've got, yeah. You've got a range of services. It doesn't connect to OneDrive for business yet. Obviously, it will do soon. Uh, and this is the idea, is it, that uh, you see all the attachments in your messages. You've got a view of all that data in, in one place, and you can do something with it. Uh, it's also got some, some features which are, again, more appropriate to a consumer or, or sort of in uh, so someone working with other companies where uh, they can't perhaps use things like the scheduling assistant, so you can send a bunch of, of potential meeting times as well. So if someone says, when are you free, you can go look at your calendar and go, I'm free on tick, 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 all of these days. And then it'll send through all the list of, of days that they, they can pick. Uh, so there's, there's a lot. Yeah, that's totally cool. Of- that's another totally cool thing. Yeah, there's a lot of cool features in this app. It's you know it, it it's the best app I've seen on on either platform in terms of you know cool features, revolutionary features, trying to bring email on a mobile device to the next level. Uh, ha- however, there are things that I think it needs fixing, and that some guy, oh, that, so some IBM fanboy, uh, and uh, has uh, has wrote a scathing. <laughs> you think yeah. there's such a thing really <laughs> uh, an IBM notes fanboy <laughs> self-proclaimed uh, wrote a blog post which got picked up by the register uh, at complaining oh, no. yeah I think have you seen that <laughs> the register all the commenters uh, go oh dear Microsoft it's not Linux it's not very good yeah okay <laughs> So, so yeah, you've got all, all, all the sort of people jumping on the fact that uh, the credentials are stored, 
uh, for exchange accounts for corporate exchange accounts and it shows up as a single device even if you've got multiple devices attached and it's got no confirmation that a remote wipe has happened uh, when you when you try and wipe the data so the so there's this, oh, I know that. So there's uh, a few things around there. So it's it's not it is not a best practice sort of as it, as if Microsoft had designed it uh, client for Exchange. It's got its own middleware platform. Uh, you, which is how it obviously does things like notifications and does its clutter-like focused view. Uh, and you, you give it your credentials, it stores the credentials, and then it connects via ActiveSync, retrieves the mail, stores up to a week on their servers, or AWS instances at the moment, and then it will send push notifications and, and synchronize down level to your device. So there's been some controversy about that. For an Office 365 customer on a US tenant, it's probably not a big issue. Uh, however, it will be for some customers who will be who will have uh, looked in the trust center and looked for the the various certifications and consider this app doesn't necessarily meet them. So Microsoft do need to bring it into AWS and probably make sure that at least you know it's tied to the same regions uh, as as tenants. So if you're on an EU tenant, then use an, an the middleware in the EU. So there's there's some changes I think they need to do, or perhaps uh, make use of the the notification model that Office 365 and Exchange 2013 can use uh, with the OWA app. You know, perhaps port that code over. But uh, Steve, do you think uh, companies should uh, in in the Europe at least should should block this client? It's not for me to say. You know, it's it's. It, it depends on the organisation because for for a lot of organisations it really doesn't matter, does it? Uh, but for others it will that they'll be in breach of regulations so i i think they they need to look at it based on their requirements most you know your plumber who's got an office 365 account in, <laughs> i don't know if my plumber does in the uk check. then well, <laughs> what, what does it matter to him uh, yeah, plumbers in norway is quite serious you know well yes i suppose especially if they've got gas <laughs> Uh, but no, no, I, I think it, it does depend. There's customers that, that this will not be suitable for. And the whole selling point of Office 365 was that it contains the data to Europe. Uh, so, yeah, that, that will make a, a difference into whether or not they, they, they use it. And, of course, the functionality is already built into the service to block it if you, if you don't feel it's ready for, for you yet. And I mean, the, the obvious sort of ones that they need to, to add into this. Uh, so these are the things that are missing. So there's switching to that notification model, perhaps, and, and doing away with, with the middleware. Uh, and perhaps looking at a different way of making the middleware work. So if, if you do use an exchange account, then perhaps it'd be a, a straightforward proxy that doesn't store the credentials if it needs it for the push notification. Because it is good that, unlike the OWA app, you can use it with older versions of Exchange. And it's only 2013 with the right configuration that can do the push notifications. So there's some benefit in that middleware, but perhaps it shouldn't be storing credentials. Because uh, having them pass through is is less of an issue than storing the credentials. Well, and that's always a rub, too. I mean, that was my, always my problem with, with, uh, with, you know, I mean, I'm obviously biased toward, I, I trust anything that's on the Apple Store you know, Apple App Store, that's legit, right? With, really? with Android, I, I, I don't trust. And, you know, so if I, I download some app that's an ActiveSync app from some company that I, I've never heard of, I'm like, I'm not giving you my domain cred. Sorry. You know what I mean? Not but, a chance. But, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad now that there's a, you know, I, 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 I'm going to trust until I'm, I've given reason. Otherwise, I'm that Microsoft's not going to do anything bogus with my creds, right, when I log into this app. So at least 
especially on Android, to me, it's like, all right, finally, an app that you know I trust and I'll give my credits to. You know, what I mean, uh, I, I think if you if you're using Yammer as an Office 365 customer, then there's probably a precedent that's already been set that it's it's kind of okay to pass your credentials through a, a US based. Uh, set of servers that aren't necessarily on Microsoft's hosted infrastructure. So, so, so you know, if, if you've already made that decision, then you want to right. close. Right now, Microsoft. I would argue we were taking a leap of faith, right? Because it's still not like in Microsoft's completely in their domain, so to speak. You know, well, right now, they, they obviously, they'll change, right? But they're, they're in the company, so. Uh, uh, but I, I don't know the specifics, and obviously, that's the kind of thing that if that, that you either wait, or if it's if you desperately want to use it and and, and users are demanding it, and you need to find out whether it is covered under all the right uh, right regulations or policies, then you you have to speak to Microsoft separately about that. I don't think there's anything in the trust center that says whether or not it's okay to use. Uh, other things that are missing: global addressless access. You can't access the gap. Really? No. Uh, can't. I thought you used it. <laughs> no, I never. <laughs> No, no. Really? Who, who needs that? <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Uh, contacts. You can't view your contacts. Uh, contact photos on there either. Contact sync. So OWI app, it synchronizes your contacts. The one sort of really important thing, if I synchronize my corporate device to the Exchange server, is when somebody brings me from work, it shows up their name, which is stored in my contacts. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so I, I, I'd like not That's only true. to see the contacts, but them to synchronise. Uh, it, it has some cool functionality about telling people when you're free, but you you can't uh, use the availability service. So you can't see when other people are free. They can't see when you're free using the app. Uh, one of the the latest updates to iOS enabled that, so you can see other people's schedules, but not in this app. Uh, so the iOS Notification Center. Uh, so you get a ping when you've got a uh, 15 minutes until your next appointment. But if you swipe down and you're having a look at upcoming appointments, then they won't show up in the iOS Notification Center. So obviously they could integrate that. So for example, if various apps like Wonderlist show all the things that I need to do, it could show your calendar via the, those mechanisms. Uh, but it doesn't at the moment. So if you're swiping down yeah, wondering what to you're do doing today, then yeah. Sure. Uh, and well, and I use Tempo. I mean, I. Um, I really like Tempo on iOS for my calendar app, so I'm not so you know worried about the calendar functionality right now because I don't really use the, even the native iOS calendar as much. But uh, so uh, so you've not got availability. You've, you can't see the you can't see your calendar. Uh, what else? Uh, it doesn't support the EAS policies because it's not an actual EAS client. The service supports the remote wipe, but as mentioned before, it just shows as pending. Uh, OneDrive for Business isn't supported, and should it have? Should you be able to have a policy? To, if, for example, if it's connected to a corporate organisation, should there be something to enable you to prevent uh, showing up all the consumer services? Even if, when you add an Exchange account, it disables all the consumer stuff, would make sense to me. That would make it infinitely more of a go-to option because although I'd personally I'd like to have my OneDrive there I'm not sure whether my employer thinks I should have my personal OneDrive there and why should they uh, so so yeah there's, there's a few calls you pay for the phone well, it's, it's, it's my phone <laughs> my, my app yeah but but yeah so or, or if you're using an exchange account that's not you know 2013 or something where they can ship support to tweak what services are enabled 
uh, or it's not controlled by an MDM solution, then you don't, you know, you can't use consumer services yeah. with MDM. the exchange. No, the, that's the, a four-letter word. But <laughs> it, it it just seems a bit it it seems a, a bit wrong that you should be able to use your corporate device with Dropbox or Google Drive uh, without it being approved somehow. Well, yeah, if the company is paying for the device, but I mean, you know, I'm that's it's, a whole, it's, it's the about this topic too. But, but it's like to me, the companies. Companies, and, and again, you, you you come across companies all the time that simply are just on the wrong side of this concept, and and like you know, it's like you know, my my adage is, if I, me as an employee of a company, have any any information via email that is critical to your company, then you're doing it wrong anyway, because there's no reason I should have any sensitive data. You know what I mean? In my role in most of your companies, so to me, it's like leave leave my phone alone. It's my property. I don't want you touching it. You know what I mean? And if you want to get a hold of me after hours, then either you give me your own phone or let me use my device the way I want to use it. You know? I, I think opinion. it depends. <laughs> because if, if because the if you're using RMS or something like that with the current OWA app uh, for iPhone, then you get to see RMS protects messages, and you should be able to sandbox stuff away. The the whole point of apps like this is that you don't have to go into Outlook to do it, and uh, and it is it, it is common. Sorry, it is common to to email various sorts of information. It depends on the organisation, but Mr. some some will send sensitive information via email and protect it accordingly, or protect the endpoints accordingly. Uh, well, if they send it to me, there's fools because I just leave my phone anywhere all the time. <laughs> well, yes, but well, maybe they shouldn't let you connect your phone. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a good idea. Yeah. Phone. Uh, no, anyway. Anyway, all things being equal, um, yeah. I. I for the first time at bat, I mean, again, they, you know, they, because they, you know, obviously they didn't really do much from the a compli app, but I said for me, they did fix the the uh, the backgrounding um, quite a bit. So I would say for a first first attempt, this is pretty awesome. I, 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 in my opinion, yeah, I think Tony Redmond's pointed out on either Windows IT Pro, I think Windows IT Pro or his blog, that they've not had a lot of time to do this. So that that two months uh, hasn't given them a lot of time to do a lot because they had, one, they've had to join a new company and do all that sort of stuff, onboarding to the Microsoft way. And, of course, you've had the holiday season as well, which has put a big dent into to everything, uh, as, as we all know. So they, they've done sort of well to, 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 to get it rebranded, fix a few bugs, and, and get it tested and out the door. Uh, and that, that's pretty impressive. So it's, it is a good first attempt. It does it. It does a lot of things better than any other app. Uh, but it's still got a lot of things that, that I think need you know need attention. Because uh, as you say, you know, sensitive information on phones. I I think it happens. You think it shouldn't happen, but it but it does happen. And obviously, if people have got access to consumer services very very easily from the device, then things like that need to be be ironed out very very quickly if it's going to be a, a viable solution for users. So so here's the big question. Um, what what app uh, do you prefer using today with Outlook? Uh, I, I think the, the Outlook for iOS app is very good, but uh, I have a Windows phone for work, so I use that. Uh, for home, I'm, I, I'm still using the, the built-in iOS native client. Yeah, I mean, I, well, again, we were only talking for a couple of days, but, I mean, I basically switched to Outlook over the native app. Um, I still have the native app syncing and stuff as a backup just to make sure. Because I, I have noticed there's, there's sometimes where there's a little bit of slowness where, you know, I'm, I clearly get a mail notification and I'm looking at the Outlook app. I'm like, um, where's the message? You know, I'm thinking, oh, there it is. Yay. It takes like you know, a minute or two. I, I, so I think we need some more. So, some so, some more integration first before it becomes a go-to. Yeah, and, I, and I'm running, to be totally fair, too, I'm running eight, the 8.2 beta on my for iOS. So, uh, yeah. you know. My 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 experience might be different than somebody using, you know, yeah. a stock 
So uh, Apple have done a reasonably good job of making the stock mail app very, very well integrated. It isn't perfect, but it does things like looking at you, you know, looking at your calendar and telling you how long it'll take to to get to wherever you're going. And th- those are the kind of little things that make a bigger difference to me. Uh, and I, and I miss very quickly. I'm not I'm not a big emailing attachment person. I'd like to see my contacts in the gal, to be honest. Uh, so, so, yeah, that's... But but I, I think I will end up using... Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't realize that was missing, actually. Uh, but I, I think I'll end up using it, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, all things being equal, it, it blows the OA app out of the water. Yes. Personally, for me. Yeah, for, for a lot of things, especially usability. Uh, so... <laughs> Obviously, the OA app can do some good stuff, like yeah. RMS, I mean, it's definitely uh, more you know, protection, sandbox, and sandbox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it does. Yeah. And I'm assuming we'll see this, you know. I mean, you know, down the road. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, I, I obviously Microsoft didn't give those apps the attention they deserved. So, is the o, OWA app for Android even out of preview yet? Uh, for the OA app? Yeah, I don't think it is. I don't know. Yeah, I don't so think so either. But that, that, if if that's still in preview, or only just came out of preview, uh, that's that, that's a good that's that's a good few years. Uh, so Exchange uh, 2013, it's been out a couple of years. There's a tap before that. So uh, that's that's been a long, long time in development, and it's not even finished. Uh, so so yeah, if this if having a a whole new product group for for from this company a company is going to make a big difference i mean that they can ship more and faster this can only be a good thing agreed uh so our other top story wow uh that that lasted longer than, than expected uh is the microsoft ignite event in may uh the session catalog is, is now available uh you saw a few familiar items in there didn't you starlight yeah i did uh, actually it's Quite unfamiliar, really, because everything was uh, Skype for Business. Yes, yes. Uh, they put up the feature speakers. Uh, our very own Michael Van Horenbeek is yeah, going to be there. That's awesome. Yes. Ooh, congrats, uh, Michael. So when you have a look in the session catalogue and find him, he mentions that you see architects. Uh, so you'll find us <laughs> <it> listed. <laughs> the future speaker on, on the biggest Microsoft conference ever, right? Yes, yes. That's, that's pretty impressive. That's so uh, huge. But Michael is amazing. So yeah, if you if you are going, you're gonna have a fab- fantastic time. Uh, and you, everyone's around your house for barbecue. Is that right, John? It's right. Yeah. So all I'm twenty thousand of that. <laughs> <laughs> I can fit like fifteen thousand. <laughs> if we take if we leave all the SharePoint people, I, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so that, that that's up and available to have a look at now. So you can see the exchange sessions, Skype for business sessions, Office three six five sessions, and more. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking at the Skype for business sessions. And, yeah, there's twenty six uh, sessions. Yeah, it's it's right uh, quite a, a lot of sessions, and uh, we, it's everything from uh, level 100 to 200 and and 300 and 400. So it should be something for everyone there. Yeah, uh, and there's quite a few exchange topics as well. Uh, and if you have a look on the Exchange Team blog, we'll put the link up to that as well. Uh, then Greg Taylor and Jeff Mealiff uh, talk about what's going to be ha- happening there. And uh, Jeff really sort of uses his hands to explain to you what you'll see. Uh, so have a watch of that YouTube video on the Microsoft blog. Uh, yeah, it's good. It is. Uh, and they're, they're very excited about what's happening. And, of course, uh, they're going to be talking about the next version of Exchange. Can you believe it? Yeah, there's two sessions on uh, Server V Next on the, in the catalog right yeah, now. That's Deploying what... and then kind of meeting... 
exchange. That, that's yes. why it seems very, very ironic that 2013's app for Android isn't even finished yet. And then they talk about the next version on. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, it's, yeah, it's it's worth going. And, of course, if you're not going, sessions are probably going to be online as well. Uh, but, yeah, May the 4th. Uh, well, when I showed my wife what date it was, she's like, oh, they're all Star Wars fans, aren't they? <laughs> so, but uh, we'll see. Uh, so... Let's move on to the exchange topics. Uh, so, getting back to our top story. So, I'll skip over this very quickly. You mentioned this very briefly. If you need to block that Outlook app for iOS and Android, then you can do so. Uh, Mike, uh, Michelle DeRoy and Paul Cunningham have both brought up a couple of blog posts showing how to do it. Quite simple. Uh, because, basically, it shows up as a particular device ID. You block that. They can't add them. If you're already quarantining, don't allow one of them because you'll be allowing 20 for that same user. Uh, it only shows up as one device for one user, even if they have 10 devices attached. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, letting out a big sigh of relief, my series on planning and migrating from Exchange 2003 to Exchange 2013, part 19 is up and I'm done. Uh, part 19? Good lord. Part 19, really? <laughs> it's very simple to move from 2003 <laughs> to 2013. <laughs> oh god, and the next version's on its way. <laughs> I, I, better, I better start the next next version of the guide. Uh, so, 2003 to 2013, yeah, the sort of big, the, the big so, hump to get over. So do you see a lot of Exchange 2003 out there? Uh, there is still some, yeah. Not tons. Uh, on... Tuesday, uh, I go to a customer to, to to start a project with them to to move off 2003. It's, it, it's still out there because remember, for many organisations, especially those that don't have a Microsoft support contract, who cares if it's not under support? Uh, but you know, there's no r rush for everybody to move off it. Uh, but, but why are they moving to Exchange 2013 and not to Exchange Online? They're moving to Exchange Online. I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they go to Office 365. Yeah, I sold them Office 365. Yeah, well, because I, I think when they are Exchange 2003, they they should. They, they don't care about uh, maintaining their servers or anything. Exactly. They, they yeah. just want to use the the end user experience. Exactly. Uh, There's some who have been waiting for years to move. Somebody, I remember some famous guy that works for Microsoft said something like that. Uh, yes, yeah, so Greg Taylor. <laughs> Taylor. Yeah, Greg Taylor. Two thousand three. They don't care about mail. That, it, no, they don't. I agree. He's got a good point, right? If yeah, if you're still on 2003, obviously mail was not your impetus, right? You know, right. <laughs> so, you don't want to, you, you don't care about it. Why should you? Or you're one of those companies that is so terrified of like touching servers that they just you know leave it alone, right? Yeah, it's not always so for those reasons, though. But the exchange online. But yeah, but the, this this is why you know you know people complain that Microsoft enable all these features without asking IT or they don't you know they they don't give you the button to switch it on they switch it on for you and then allow you to maybe switch it off. That's yeah, why because of organisations right? like this. If pardon, yeah, it's best practice, right? Microsoft what? knows best. Uh, well, they exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But common sense and normal change management would expect that if there's a new feature, you get a button to switch it on. However, if you're an Exchange 2003 customer that's moved to Exchange Online or Office 365, you're probably the kind of person that won't ever even know that there's that feature to switch on because you'll just be adding and deleting users every so often when they join and leave the company. So, so, so you shouldn't 
this stuff should be switched on for you you shouldn't be sort of left to switch it on because you never will and and at some point the business will go uh, what are we getting out of this it's got no it's had no new features for for years and we're paying a subscription and uh, and then someone else will go but there's all these features why haven't we got them and then the it guy will get the sack and that's the point <laughs> that he'll see that microsoft was right to just to just keep switching this stuff on and and it makes sense because those are the kind of customers that need to have it switched on for them because they won't ever get, give anything new to the users otherwise. They don't like the upgrades. And, of course, the customers that do carefully switch everything on, they, they, they know everything that's coming along. They read the roadmaps. They're the customers that will try and, have, have a, try and figure out how to switch it off before the users get it. They might have you know a, a test tenant that's in uh, that, that gets the first release stuff. Uh, so, so, yeah, so off topic a little bit there if you can still have 2013 on premises but i see the point if they're still on 2003 then is 2013 the best for them for some organizations it is uh, and if you need to know how then you'll see so uh, uh, what one of the things that did surprise me uh, when i was at tech it was a lot of people were talking about moving to exchange 2013 uh, that is something that isn't seen it's not as visible to microsoft it is happening the majority of the exchange questions were around that they weren't around office 365 uh, especially because it's a european conference and of course there's you know, more more fears around that so e even if they were thinking about moving to exchange online but perhaps uh, you know that they've changed direction now then this guide might be useful to you uh please don't make that 19 part series that's taken me ages to write <laughs> obsolete already <laughs> move to the exchange online guys yes really or, and <laughs> if you like to live dangerously uh, then you can read uh, Amazon, Web, uh, Amazon Web Services quick start uh, guide for deploying Exchange 2013 in their cloud. How good's that? If you don't like support from Microsoft, it might be for you. Uh, that's that's up. Uh, you can have a read of it. Uh, but how how long do you think they'll be promoting that for? Have you heard about Amazon Workmail? I saw they were launching something like that. What's, what's yeah. that about? So, so it's Amazon uh, are launching their own corporate email service. Uh, for, for once, uh, as an exchange guy, it's nice to see another company say that email is critical. It matters a lot to the users. If it doesn't work, then uh, they've got a big problem. Uh, well, so I thought companies were moving away from emails. It's, uh, it's all about Link and Sky for Business now, right? <laughs> it, it, it helps cut down the yes. message count. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it helps reduce your IOPS uh, and get rid of that unnecessary data. Oh, it still ends up, doesn't it? Conversation history. It, does, it still ends up in your email client. Uh, if you get an archive, it still ends up in email client. You can't get away from it. You just no. You can get away from it. Just <laughs> yeah. not store it there. Yeah, yeah. It's sticky in a SQL <laughs> server. Yeah. Uh, so. So Amazon uh, are going to launch their own service called Workmail, uh, and they are aiming it solely as a corporate email service, as a direct competitor to Exchange and Exchange Online. And that sounds quite interesting to me. Uh, you know, I, I want to have a look at this and have a go with it. Sure. I, I'm quite. I hope it has some really cool stuff in, and I hope I like it because it, it has to be cool because uh, email, right? Well, if you look at it's Google the, Apps, that's cool. It's if, like. If you look at Google Apps, you're getting you can pay Google to give you their free product. If you know it's a consumer product that you can pay for, 
uh, without any just pain not to get adverts. Uh, whereas this is designed as a corporate email system with all, with hopefully all the same functionality and more. And perhaps they'll have their own innovative approach uh, that makes it better because they they could have deployed Exchange and hosted that somehow uh, as per <laughs> their guide. But that they, but they've chosen to develop a brand new email system in house. They must have something really good up their sleeves. And if they haven't, then you know why? Well, why would you? You know, it, why would you just make a copy of it? Uh, it it's, I'll be very surprised if it's if it doesn't have something that is going to make Microsoft go, "Ooh, why didn't we think of that?" Yeah, it should use some kind of algorithm in terms of knowing what you want to write in your emails and stuff. Yeah, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Or perhaps. Uh, one-click reply, so you don't have to type anything. Yes. Like the one-click buy. That would yes. be good. Uh, yeah, there's also well, they've they've probably thought of them themselves. So yeah, we'll we'll put the link up to that article. So if you've not heard of it, it's it's not something I'd stop any sort of project for because it it's going to be a few years down the line before realistically people do start taking interest, and and by then. You know, who knows what Microsoft will have. But uh, it's, it's it's worth having a look at. The good thing about more competitive products on the market is it, it means that the one that, that you bought into, like we bought into you know, Microsoft, uh, has a, a reason to innovate. They've got to start innovating because otherwise someone else is going to. And Google don't really, you know, in comparison. So th- this could be a good thing. Agreed. Yeah, uh, and if you now we've got the AWS Quick Start Reference Guide completely unsupported, uh, but you could have a go with it. Uh, but uh, there is a supported in cloud scenario now uh, for Exchange 2013 if it's in Azure, not the servers in Azure though. Uh, so ages and ages ago, Microsoft put a blog post up there uh, saying at some point in the future you'll be able to have the file share witness for Exchange 2013 in Azure. And now you can. Uh, so a while back, uh, the key feature that was missing was introduced, which was being able to connect to a single Azure virtual network via two VPN endpoints, for example. And of course, you've got Express Route. Uh, and this, they've, they've obviously tested out all these features, validated it, and now you can use the Witness server in Azure under a specific configuration. And that's now in the Exchange 2013 help. So we'll link up to that uh, TechNet page, uh, and you can see if it makes sense. Uh, I think so. This sense. is good for uh, customers that have two data centers and want to have the witness server in Azure. Yes, that's right. Right, because the requirement was that you had a, basically a third data center. So you know, it's not right for automatic failure. You know, automatic failure, even it wasn't possible for a lot of customers. So yeah, I, I think it makes sense if you if you're using Azure already and and you can implement this because i think it'll drive a lot of people to to, to at least use Azure, Azure just for that. You know, I mean, because it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, it does. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, and so, so yeah. The scenario is automatic failover. Which, if you don't have the third site, then that means you've got to have the file share witness in one data center. And then, as long as soon as you lose quorum, then you know everything's down. And you've got to move the file share witness manually and do a sort of DR, uh, bringing up the server. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it, it's it's worth considering. Yeah. Don't think it's, but it's only supported with Azure. It's not supported with Rackspace or AWS. Just as you, of course. There's there's a weird support article. I I, I left this in because I just thought the the title was funny. And to performance issues or delays when you connect to Exchange 20 Exchange 2013 that is running in Windows Server. 
So worth knowing about. That's a good thing that it's running on Windows Server, right? Yeah, yeah. It d- but it's fine if you if you're running in Wine on Linux. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I just, the fact it says in Windows Server as if it might not be. Uh, right. So yeah, there's a link up to that uh, in case you're having some weird performance issues. Uh, securing Exchange and. Uh, Link 2013 with multi-factor authentication, a a, a, a YouTube guide uh, from Kemp's own uh, uh, own uh, engineering team showing you what to, to do if you want to configure your Kemp load balancer to provide the multi-factor authentication. Uh, and bad news for Exchange 2013 customers, it has reached the end of mainstream support. So expect no... Well, you weren't expecting any more service packs. You're not going to get any any more service packs at all anymore and it's it's going on the long sort of winding road to being out of support it's hard to process i mean i understand it's five you know two thousand you know five years down the road but it just seems like everybody's still on 2010 you know it's like you know, they're on service or they're on on 2010 because not many people have put gone to 2013 yet that i've seen so well yeah it's so, funny you know what i mean so, so I was thinking, oh, but it's it seems like only yesterday that I was moving people to 2010. Then I look back and it was like 2011, you know, 2000. I know it seems like the time just did kind of creep up on you. Like, wow, it's already five years down the road. Yeah, know? yeah. So it's well, yes, it is. It, it, it's 2009 when it came out. So it's been, you know, quite quite a while. Uh, I mean, it, we're in Back to the Future Part Two, yeah, now. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, when people go, oh, the Oh, this road isn't going to be built till 2020 and you go 2020 are you kidding and then you realize it's only five years away so time does time has, has gone and to, uh, it is the at the end of mainstream support you should be considering moving off it when you when i go when i go and use 2010 now like if i do a hybrid config with 2010 it does seem dated uh it it does seem quite old it does lack features uh it's you know it's at the end of mainstream support it is time to think about well, you think it's also, you know, usually it's, it's you know, N minus two, right? Or so you think, like, okay, fine, once the VNX is released, then kill 2010, but like, we're still, you know, six months in that or whatever, who knows, right? Well, so yeah. it's weird to me, like, you're only going to have, like, essentially, well, you're going to have two versions, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the argument. We actually do have two versions. We have 13 on prem, we have, we have the cloud, because they're really separate versions now at this point. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but but if you're on 2010, yeah, maybe it's time to, time to start thinking moving because the upgrade path. Uh, Microsoft have made some promises about the upgrade path from 2013 to to future versions above that, and they the, the plan is every server is an island, and it will be easier to upgrade. So if you upgrade now to 2013, then you're going to have a better time if you keep in a software assurance and plan to you know rotate servers around to the, the current version going forward uh, so you it, it'll be your last complicated upgrade and it is easier than a 2007 to 2013 upgrade as well uh, but yes yeah, so it's worth considering uh, either that or exchange online if you don't care about email but at the end of mainstream <laughs> support at the end of mainstream support who would have thought it uh, yeah, and just give it up and just go to the cloud. <laughs> I, I can't change change that, but... You don't care and you need to move <laughs> yeah, to right. online. Just go to service and get oh, it over with. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. I'm sorry. Exchange <laughs> <laughs> online is the thing. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. But if if you look at Exchange Online 
and compare and compare OWA to Exchange 2013 OWA. Even Exchange 2013 OWA looks dated now. It's you know it is moving on very very quickly in the cloud. Uh, it's, yeah, so sadly so, so yes. Yeah, that, that's our last exchange topic anyway. So moving swiftly on. Uh, I know time is at the essence. Uh, so well, I'll skip through the Office 365 topics for today. Uh, so there's uh, the the full Office for Android has been released. Uh, you can install that now. It was in preview, I think, for a while. There's been some Azure AD yes. improvements as well. So uh, if you wanted to delegate rights to people, uh, that was always a bit bit of a pain. Uh, and now there's things like administrative units. Uh, so you can subdivide your tenant and give various people admin rights over groups of users. Uh, and uh, setting up uh, a multi-forest exchange hybrid deployment. I've got a guide for that on Search Exchange. That's a shorter guide. It didn't take me quite so long. Uh, and Office 365 customers, you should love this. And I do wonder whether it's whether it's related to the sort of experiences the onboarding center have seen, uh, because Microsoft have increased the onboarding limit to 150 megabytes. It used to be 35 meg with a 25 meg send limit and receive limit. Uh, it's still 25 slash 35 send and receive. However, when you're moving a, a mailbox to Office 365, using the hybrid tools it doesn't work with staged it doesn't work with cutover it doesn't work with third-party tools it only works with a hybrid deployment then you can move messages up to 150 megabytes uh and uh one cool. from it is cool uh but yeah it has one it if you're moving mailboxes back and forward then it's not going to work because it's at the point that the mailbox gets a mailbox planner signed is the point that it suddenly gets the lower limit so once you've moved it up and it becomes the mail user becomes a mailbox it gets the mailbox plan and it's back down to the old limit you move it back it's still got that plan so you can't move it back up with larger messages so first time you move it into the cloud you can move it with the larger messages uh, so that is fantastic for migrations to office 365 uh, and another one from the, the new Office 365 roadmap, they've sort of relaunched it, made it a bit slicker, uh, is drive shipping uh, of PSTs uh, into Office 365 uh, and uh, network-based data imports. So if you were struggling with a third-party vendor trying to push PSTs into Office 365 or trying to use the the, the PST uh, import tool, then this might be worth having a look at. And that's coming later this year. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that then. So before we go on to our link topics, I've got a link Q&A uh, with Starley, who's going to fill me in on something I really don't know about, and maybe you don't either. Uh, so uh, we, we mentioned it earlier in the intro, and we're going to talk about Skype for Business's new video interoperability server. Uh, so, do you want to give us a quick overview? What is Video Interoperability Server, and, and where does it fit in? Well, uh, there's a lot of new co content available now for Skype for Business, but uh, we can talk about all this, or we could portion it out through different episodes. So, um, I thought that um, Skype for Business Video Interoperability Server uh, is a good point to start because uh, both Adam Jacobs and Jeff Search, which are both uh, Link MPs, uh, posted some really awesome topic uh, blog posts on, on this topic, and uh, and I thought it was a good good time to talk about this because a lot of customers I've been talking to over the years are quite interested in, in this topic. How can they reuse what they got of 
Cisco endpoints in their uh, meeting rooms with Link. Right. Okay. So, what? So, so the video interoperability. What does that? That means it. Uh, so interoperability means that you can call from uh, Skype for Business. Yeah. Uh, to a uh, video endpoint, uh, typically Cisco based. So do you do you need the the Cisco system there as well, or is it just connecting the endpoints directly into Skype for Business? So Microsoft uh, created and and there's a, were a lot of uh, on, on this in in the Link 2013 timeframe. What what were Cisco doing and what were Microsoft doing in terms of having them talk together? So in Skype for Business timeframe, Microsoft comes up with this video interoperability server. Uh, that they are deploying, and the video interoperability server uh, connects to the Cisco Unified Communications Manager, not the VCS, uh, in terms of having Cisco endpoints joining link conferences. Right. So say you had a you know Tamburg, um, you know room system video endpoint system. You know um, that room would now be able to join and do video with a link. Um, you know, conference and yes. those people sitting on an LRS in another room or whatever, right? So the best yeah, way that, that was explained to me is like think of it as mediation server, but for video. So it's basically going to do you know transcoding and, and allow Link to talk to a foreign video endpoint that may not you know speak the same things as Link, right? Yeah, but but it, it is connected to Cisco, so it's only right. with Cisco endpoints. So, and uh, so uh, why, uh, why only Cisco? Uh, why only Cisco? Well, uh, Cisco is uh, the ones that do not do interoperability with with Link uh, unless they uh, or Skype for Business unless they have uh, support the same codec as Link does, uh, right. and none of them are joining Link meetings. But uh, Polycom uh, do register natively to Link, so they can join conferencing uh, Link conferences. Uh, and if you look at Akano and Pexip, which is uh, video interoperability MCUs, they don't have endpoints, so they, they're only MCUs, so that's another topic. And, and LifeSize and Radvision and other vendors haven't done much in terms of interoperability, so it's, that's why Microsoft is focusing on Cisco. Okay. So, yeah, and I think you know this is part of like you know initial release. I mean, I think the plan is over time to expand that to other types of devices too, but... You know, assume that probably out there that that you know those kind of endpoints are going to be common in big corporations. You know, they have the investment in these devices, and you know that's the top of the list right now. That might change, and other types of devices might get supported down the road. Yes. So right now, um, uh, the supported endpoints are uh, Cisco Telepresence MX series, EX series, SX series, and C series. For those who know the Cisco endpoints. So d does it work just on-premises or with Skype for Business Online as well? Uh, well, uh, it, it's actually only an on-premises deployment. So you need to have uh, your uh, on-premises deployment with a uh, VCA, v server and also a uh, front-end server, but you can do it within hybrid. Yes. But no, not Link Online or Skype for Business Online only. So it's... What's the sort of mechanics on how it works under the hood? Uh, well, uh, it is a uh, on-premises role. It is yeah. a separate server role, so you can't collocate it with your front-end server pool. So it's a different, uh, separate pool. 
uh, and it requires a zip trunk to a Cisco Unified Communication Manager, so not to VCS. And as I have seen in organizations, most of them actually have VCS in terms of managing their Cisco endpoints. Uh, and it's also limited to video endpoints uh, within the organization. So if you are an external link user or a Skype for Business user, uh, you can't utilize the edge in order to traverse networks. And that's the same for in, in, internally as well, since uh, the endpoint needs to connect to the uh, video interoperability server directly. Uh, so it can't, it can't traverse the subnets and so on. So what's the end user experience? Is it, does it work with just uh, room systems or, or PC clients, uh, Cisco uh, mobile devices? So um, the interoperability server role will transcode your uh, video streams from the AVC uh, video stream from the endpoint to three different streams in terms of link. So it's a full uh, 1080p stream, a 720p stream, and also for mobile devices, a uh, low-end 360p stream and, and 15 frames per second. So um, the V server is all about uh, signaling in terms of a SIP trunk for mediation server, as you said, John and also about uh, sending out the different video streams that the link clients require. It will not uh, perform transcoding to RT video, which means that Link 2010 clients will not receive video from um, uh, VTCs uh, that's uh, based on Cisco. So uh, will that affect any older Link uh, rooms, room systems or well, room-based devices? Not, no, not really, because all of those are based on the 2013 time frame. Right. Uh, well, I don't mean a link room system, but any any older e equivalents that might be As out long there, as you run a 2013 off. client or a Skype for Business client, you're you're good. Cool. So, I mean, just to sum up, what what are your thoughts then? Do you, do you think it'll get deployed often, or do you think this will be a niche sort of role? I think the, this will be a niche because um, it requires uh, that you have moved to the Unified Communication Manager platform in terms of, inter, instead of the VCS. And um, it's, it's also, at this point, uh, just one-way join. So the uh, video endpoint needs to join the uh, link conference and call into a link conference, so no drag-and-drop is supported. Uh, the link client or the Skype for Business client can't just drag the endpoint into the meeting or uh, invite it into the meeting. It, it has to be initialized from the video endpoint side of you. And also, uh, they will get the 2010 experience where they will see just the current speaker uh, and not all the video streams that, it, that is in the conference. Uh, and also, they won't get application sharing, which is a huge blocker for interoperability in terms of if you share your content from the Skype for Business client, uh, it will not show up on, on the video endpoint. So it's just audio and video. So is, and, it, is, uh, it, is it intended as a stopgap during migration? Yeah, it's it's more like that. So you you need to utilize what you have, but uh, you should have a plan to move to a, a link uh, 
video endpoint really. So, so this is addressing a point where uh, having a meeting room with Cisco endpoints shouldn't be a blocker for you to move to link, but it's not uh, a coexistent really, it's more like a, a, a stopping point. Uh, but Microsoft is uh, bringing this in for free uh, within the Sky for Business timeframe. So it is um, something that uh, could help customers uh, decide to move to Skype for Business if they have a uh, uh, video conferencing base based on Cisco. Uh, but compared to third-party intro platforms like Akanor or Pixip or Polycom, uh, this is not as good since it, it is not bringing all the video streams to the video endpoint. It is not bringing uh, application sharing from the link client to the Cisco endpoint. Uh, so it is a, at this point, uh, a easy to go to solution, but uh, it is not, it will not solve all your wishes and uh, needs. What do you think, John? Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's nowhere near as uh, you know full function as uh, as third party stuff. But I think you know, I think it fills a, a, a certainly a, a major checkbox for some large organizations that say, hey, you know, I got all this investment in this kind of hardware. You know, it sucks that I can't use it at all with Link, and it's kind of isolated. Um, you know, but on the same token, I mean, how much of that still exists? I mean, it's been increasingly rare for me to come across you know any kind of real investment in that stuff. I mean, what's there is there. And most companies are going to link precisely because they don't want to upgrade that stuff because some of it's so much so, so expensive. It's you know you're you're going to link is cost as much as just upgrading these devices you know so for a company uh, couple of the, that with the, these low cost you know smaller rooms uh, type system devices like the six three thousands and stuff you know I mean uh, you know and there's also a concept like how many times do people want to be tethered to a box in a room, you know, to do a conference. That's why everyone has laptops and now mobile phones, you know. So, I mean, I, I see two sides of that, you know. It's like, why do you even want to have these room services anymore, you know, in a lot of ways. That's a, yeah, it's, that, it's more like the end-user experience, right? So yeah. They, so, they have, some they people actually just bring a, a paper and a pen to a meeting still, uh, and they want just to join a meeting. And uh, now they have the ability to just right. dial into a link, dialing number, and, and press the... Uh, link um, authentication code and join a link meeting and do video and audio with those uh, participants. So it depends on the usage, and uh, but I don't see it scale much, though, uh, for those organizations that really want to succeed with meeting rooms and, and the interoperability link. I, I see them actually moving to something like a Kano or Pixip or, or yeah. Polycom or, uh, or, or just replacing those units, really. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Starley. Yeah, that was great, Simon. And, uh, uh, yeah, and each show going forward, we're going to keep this new format with a Q&A topic. So feel free to hit us up on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter and, uh, and ask us if there's something in particular you'd like us to go deep on. I could have said that very wrong then, couldn't I? And <laughs> on to Link. Uh, so, Cumulative Update 10 uh, for Link Server 2013 was released uh, December 31st, 2014, so the very last day of last year, and uh, had some fixes for Chrome, stability, and so on. And uh, I, I, we've got an automatic update 
link also attached to that from Pat. Uh, so if you check that out, that'll be attached on the, the blog post. Uh, link SDN for Dummies Part 2.1 is on your blog, John. Uh, do you want to give us a quick overview? Yeah, well, it's a uh, you know, it's uh, and it's kind of the title's catchy because it's Part 2.1 because the releases for the 2.1 release of the of the SDN API. So it's inside nerd joke if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> but basically, you know, I wrote this. I wrote it like back in uh, I think August when um, the uh, um, SDN 2.0 uh, API came out and. Um, in what late late October they released 2.1, which had a bunch of different you know a bunch of updates, some major you know component changes, um, good stuff. I also put in um, some links, really 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 good presentation from TechEd um, Europe, um, and that was what uh, October I think as well, um, from Jamie Sark and Cornel Bones. Um, so there's a link to it in, in the in the in the in the post as well. But I mean definitely if you're at all interested in SDN and what it is, how it works, and how it can help Link, um, definitely watch this. Uh, you know, screw reading my blog. Just just watch the uh, just watch the uh, the presentation because it's really wicked. Plus, and that and that being said, um, one of the things I point out in the blog, which I had I didn't, really didn't note, notice until I li- listened to this uh, session, was that I guess there's an SDN controller coming as part of Windows 10 Server. And Jamie Stark had mentioned that um, in the session that um, that we should get some more information on that at Ignite, which is actually pretty big news to me. I, like I said, I hadn't known about it, and uh, this could be pretty cool to have, like, you know, a SDN controller as part of a server role for Windows. That's pretty wicked cool, if you ask me. But um, So, yeah, check it out if, you, if that stuff interests you. Um, and I got, I, got link, I got links to all that stuff inside the blog, so um, some helpful stuff to deploy it, and then, uh, and some other, you know, ancillary info about uh, Link and SDN. Yeah, cool. and, and software-defined networking for, for Link is all about giving the network administrator, the info he needs in order to troubleshoot link connectivity issues, right? Yeah, and, you know, and again, it's, uh, this is, you know, uh, there's a whole ecosystem of SDN stuff that I didn't even know existed until, like, I, I went to a, uh, I mentioned this and put a link up to a, a tech field day in, in California. I was invited to, uh, as a delegate and talk about, I mean, it's, it was very network focused, but, um, you know, um, the open flow is the kind of foundation that's the open source sort of, um, bedrock for all of this SDN stuff, right? And, uh, and we're seeing now, you know, um, it getting embedded in different pieces of hardware too, which is cool. In fact, there's some decent, um, HP's been pretty, I put a link to this too. HP has actually an SDN app store out there now on their site, which is really cool because it brings in like, you know, vendor, different vendor applications, both hardware and software, um, that can manage and tie SDN into your existing environments and all that stuff. Um, and they're starting to build that stuff in SDN and OpenFlow support into their switches now. Um, which is really cool. In fact, I'm actually looking to buy one. I was looking on eBay. There's an, uh, a nice 24-port switch for like 500 bucks I can get uh, that's got uh, SDN info. And, and you could buy the controller app for, for as well, so they work together. And, you know, um, it's, you know, like I said, it's all part of this neat ability to have the network sort of work for you and dynamically, you know, sort of change things based on your needs. Um, and, you know, we apply that to link with voice quality and QoS and stuff. It's just really, really cool concept stuff, so... And again, like I said, I, I wrote this stuff because I really had no idea. I'm not a networking background guy, and I really have no idea what some of this stuff means, so I kind of wanted to learn more about it. <laughs> so that's yeah. why I kind of wrote it. Yeah, uh, and for me, it's all about giving the network guy the power back, right? So so he gets the info we get uh, from Link uh, into his network uh, controller. So it helps him uh, search for issues and troubleshoot issues more easily. Yeah, it allows us to quantify. Except, you know, when we say, okay, well, you know, you know, voice quality is bad, and here's what we think's happening, you know, 
we need to give them some information of what that might be, and this is a good way to do that, you know? Yeah. And, and what's also what's new with 2.1 is that uh, now the SDN API can be co-located on the front-end server, right? Yeah, and there's, some, like, and there's now an option for high availability, so you can have a pool of uh, SDN controllers, too. So um, that's a new thing, and then there's an SRV record you can deploy to, to, to allow it to happen. Um, so, some really new, neat architecture changes in, the, in, that, in that, along that, that end. Yeah, so everyone needs to consider deploying SDN. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, it should be part of, you know... Uh, I would argue you should try to you know install the API on your front you know at least on the listeners on on your on your servers as part of your build process whether you're going to deploy SDN or not you know now at least that piece will be done. Cool. Well, uh, moving on. Thank you very much for that, John. And we'll go to some of the other the tools that we've got this week. So, uh, new set of tools: Link Admin tools for free, uh, which make configuration, administrating, administration, and troubleshooting of Link easier. That's by Andrew Morpeth, and he's basically made a modular GUI uh, that allows you to go and configure and import holidays into Link and Exchange. Uh, check DNS configuration, check ports or endpoints, uh, and so on. So a very good tool uh, if you're on a vote there. Yeah, it's uh, good stuff. I, I it's really awesome, and, and he makes his, our, our job actually more easy. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, he's been churning on a bunch of stuff lately. He's, 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 uh, it's <laughs> awesome stuff. Guy. He's the next Graham Copley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who will be coming too soon? Uh, video calling between Skype and Link is temporarily... Disabled. Uh, there's a Microsoft Knowledge Base article. Supposedly it was back up again, but for me, actually, Skype is busted right now. I'm not, and I'm still trying to figure out if it's me or Skype. It's a, <laughs> no, last review it, it is up again, and, but you need the latest client that it yeah. just released, the uh, 7.xx. Yeah, I'm not getting any presence just to my Skype account not with my home uh, link environment. I'm not sure why. <laughs> i got to figure out why. That's just you. I think I, it was working the other day. I have no idea. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, there was an issue with the Skype client side in terms of doing video with uh, with Link. But uh, so it's all on the Skype side. So it's all about the clients. Yeah, I think Jeff, now Jeff was in Microsoft are, are pushing out new clients that are uh, supporting video again with the, with the version 2 gateway and stuff. Yeah, oh. Jeff, Jeff Schertz was saying at the, the, the Chicago user group uh, a couple weeks ago that the issue was that it was putting... Um, RT audio at the highest uh, the highest priority or something. That's why it was failing. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, you know, more. I don't know anything about it. That's what you said. The issue was. If you look at the traces, that's what was happening. Interesting yeah. stuff when it happens on a on a massive global scale, right? <laughs> so, so it, it it should be working now. And if you want it to work, you should try to re-download the Skype client. And uh, you also should try to switch your browser when you're doing that to make sure you get the latest client. Cool. Okay. Uh, so, and next one. What's new in Skype for Business? Uh, uh, an article by Matt Landis, and he's got a, a long list actually on this post of all the new features uh, that have been released so far. So this link is sort of a living page that will be updated as and when uh, more stuff gets released with pictures of what the new platform looks like, all the sort of non-NDA stuff. Uh, so he's got stuff about the new desktop experience, new desktop client experience, uh, the in-place upgrade process, whether it's got support for always on, what's new in meetings, uh, the video interoperability server we mentioned earlier, manageability improvements, uh, the, the whole work. So there's a, that's a very good blog post. Uh, have a look at it if you just want a good summary of everything that, that's new in there. 
Yeah, and uh, and I guess we will do Q and A's on, on different topics moving uh, until ignite at least. Indeed, as, uh, uh, there's a lot of content that's uh, been released and will be released as well. So it's, it is good times to be a Link and Sky for Business consultant right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was uh, like we were talking about before we started recording. Like like all of a sudden, like all the stuff that was like you know you know not secret, but if you were in in the tap or something that you knew you had you know, some ideas of this stuff. All of a sudden, it would boom! All like over like, overnight, it was all public, you know, like without having you know having to go to a conference or anything. Like all of a sudden, boom! Here it is. So it's it's kind of yeah. neat that they release everything, <laughs> you know, all at once like that. Um, yeah, but, and you have these so. webcasts, right? Uh, every can everyone can join. That uh, yeah. we're posted up on the office blogs. Uh, we should have a link to that as well. Uh, that you can join in order to get. Uh, the, it's going to be one webcast each week, I guess, or or something like that. Uh, that will uh, go through all the workloads within Sky for Business. So cool. you should really check that out. Yep. We'll, put the, we'll put the link up to that. Uh, yeah, definitely good stuff. Uh, and uh, Graham Copley has been at it again uh, with uh, a tool to synchronize your link presence with Skype for consumer. Uh, How awesome is that? I know this thing right? is so. I guess I got what I got. It's so cool. <laughs> I was like giggling. I'm like, that's so cool. Yeah, it even sees like, your notes I and everything. I didn't, I didn't think I actually wanted that, but I do. And he, well, he made it too. It's weird because I don't use Skype that much. So it's like to me, it's like you know. But I mean, I'm assuming over time it's going to get more popular, right? You know. Yeah. So, so of course uh, I want that. Yeah, it's a great thing. Yeah, very very cool. Uh, and of course, we'll have the link up to that. Seriously, so someone's got a nominating for for MVP. He's absolutely, he, he's definitely on it at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, I uh, think we talk about him every episode or something. Yes, <laughs> it seems yeah. like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm guessing his employer, you know, I, I, I don't know how busy he is at the moment, <laughs> uh, but uh, either he's got some customers that got some very interesting requirements, or he's not that busy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, got a lot of free time I think yeah very very impressive I bet Andrew who works with him will edit that bit out uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or edit it to say he's really busy <laughs> uh, so uh, next up uh, Link Dude simply si- simple understanding of Link Windows Fabric failover that sounds quite complicated <laughs> yeah Windows uh, Fabric was introduced in Link 2013 and uh uh, it is part part of a, a core component when it comes to Link 2013 and the Enterprise Edition and the Link Frontend Pool. So, but it is if you deep dive into it, it is quite complicated. So, if he managed to explain it in a good way, I would definitely check out his his blog in terms of getting an understanding of why the Windows Fabric is there and why you actually need a three pool frontend. Uh, yeah, now now you have a, an article to give people when when it, when, it, when you get that deer in the headlights look why why you try when you try to explain them why they need three front ends for like you know a thousand you know yeah. two thousand people <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> I can't read this this is why <laughs> yeah I was in a customer meeting uh, this week actually where they were like what what the hell why do we need three front end servers right and, it's like this, this is uh, why this is <laughs> why you need to explain <laughs> the Venus fabric. Yeah, so it still doesn't make it right, but at least I'll understand why, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's how it is. I'm sorry, it's uh, how it's developed. There's I'm pictures. Sorry. Well, and that's one of those things. Going back to um, um, Sky for Business Server, that's one of the things they talked about too. There's going to be lots of improvements in the way the fabric works. Um, we don't know if not it's going to change any requirements like that, but um, there's definitely some work being put into 
fix some of the issues that you know are kind of inherent the way the fabric is yeah. right now. So and there was there there were a community update as well that improved Windows Fabric, but we didn't know what it improved. But it was it was more improved, so that's good. Yeah, so there's pretty pictures, there's YouTube videos. It's, it's it still looks complicated to me, uh, but there's a there's a YouTube video, so it must be easy. Uh, yeah, this so is uh, quite uh, level 500 deep down, di- uh, di- um, uh, deep dive. So uh, it, you should really look into this uh, and try to understand how it works. So good article. I'm, I'm not really a yep, Skype definitely. expert yet. I, I, I know I'm a bit. So I'm, I, I've probably got a way to go before I start reading that, uh, or I'll just get lost because uh, <laughs> uh, I only do a little bit of link. <laughs> uh, so, link and Skype video calling is coming to your Android and iOS devices. Uh, that's coming up now. That's from the Office blogs and passive authentication for Link 2013's Android mobile client. Uh, it's going to be released as well. So uh, again, that will help with uh, various authentication scenarios that that aren't, aren't super. And our final link topic is uh, Windows Phone has been updated to include additional settings dedicated to voice calls. Uh, so if you're using Windows Phone, then you've got uh, options for whether it uses Wi-Fi, cellular, uh, uh, what not it does and what doesn't support so uh, extra bits and pieces that make it ever so slightly better actually uh, this is quite crucial because it, it is now so awesome because when you, if you use the Windows phone and you're on the Wi-Fi network you wanted to go through the Wi-Fi of course uh, but if you're on the cellular network you wanted to call you on your GSM instead of dialing through 4G or 3G or whatever so you have a setting now on the Windows Phone Link Mobile Client that will, on your Wi-Fi, it will go through uh, IP phone. But if you um, are not on Wi-Fi, on the same setting, it will call back. So you join a Link conference, and the Link conference will call you on your GSM instead of you trying to join over 4G, and you lose the connection. So, so it's... That's that, that's a sort of you either want it or you don't want it kind of feature because if you if you're in a country where you've got good connectivity, yeah, but you're not sh- you or you're never sure. Because what about the pair of or GG you have, right? And especially if you are in a car, if you're in a car, you probably want to have this call go through GSM because it's better at roaming. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking back to the amount of times I've tried to dial into a link conference and put the pin in over GSM. Still, no, 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 it's still one-click join, right? So you one-click yeah, yeah. join to the link conference, and uh, you join via the link client, and then the link cli- link server will call you on GSM instead of trying joining you through the link yes. client. Yeah, okay, I, I yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, that's handy, especially, like, if you have, like, so, you know, say, I, you know, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm, we all know I'm a nerd, but I bring my hotspot in my car a lot of times for... Okay, so the so I have an iPhone in in a, in a cradle in my car, but that that phone actually talks like to the roof antenna, right? So there's a scenario where that's better, right? If you it calls you, but you know when you're in the car, is the best example, right? And you have a system where the, the the phone's hooked up to the car, in essence, right? You're gonna get a better signal strength than probably just your Wi-Fi a hotspot sitting in your car on the seat or something, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so the point is, you you are you are more sure that you will have a good call experience. With this setting, uh, unless without it, because you previously you have to decide in in forehand uh, to in terms of 
having the call going through IP or not. Yeah, and well, it obviously, you know, helps too if you have, um, you know, everyone's got pretty. Usually, most people have unlimited. At least in the United States, have unlimited uh, um, talk time now. We don't, don't care about minutes anymore, but data is still capped, right? So if you can move that call off to to cellular and not have to burn through data for that conference, you know, it could save you money. Uh, now, again, yeah, it could save you money, uh, and it will uh, guarantee the quality of the call. Yeah. Like it's it's GSM quality all the time instead of being link awesome and and then. You dropping the call? <laughs> yeah, I'm reminded of the time I tried to join the podcast recording over uh, over link while whilst in the car, and it was not good. Uh, that's for sure. And I dropped out a few times. I wouldn't have over GSM, I suppose. So, so yeah, I can see the point. It's, it, it sounds good, excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm real, so happy for this users. setting. It, it saved my life, actually. <laughs> really, <laughs> life changer. <laughs> so, so link topics are done, and let's move on to to a, a few bits of, and pieces to promote some uh, events that are coming up. So, again, Ignite, fourth uh, of May, and you can sign up on ignite.microsoft.com uh, right now uh, if you want to go. And the Office 365 summits are in progress, touring the world. I think the next one coming up is. Johannesburg that's got some places free and uh, there's a lot of material you get if you go including link information about well Skype for business decks that you only get if you go so it's worth attending it's uh, free in many cases to attend uh, if you're in the vicinity of it uh, there's a few coming up, coming up now and you can check out summit.office.com slash events uh, to find out more and if you're based in the UK uh, then you can visit a uh, Birmingham and see us at the UC Day UK in September. So later on this year, uh, while it's still just about summer, uh, but not quite, uh, we'll be holding an event uh, organised by myself, Andrew Price, and some other MVPs, including Ian Smith, Adam Gent, and also uh, Jason Wynn, who's not an MVP, but he's a pretty top guy, uh, who helps us run UCBurg. And that's going to be at the Motorcycle Museum. And we should have a whole bunch of MVPs uh, with tracks for Exchange, Link, and Office 365. Uh, it's free to attend, and the website for that will be up soon. And finally, if you're not doing anything on the 11th of February, that's uh, literally just next week, uh, then come to Birmingham. Uh, from 6 till 9, you'll get some free training from myself, Graham Copley, second mention in one go. Uh, he's on the podcast <laughs> twice this week. He's a regular attendee uh, to UC Berg, and he's going to be doing his first session there. Uh, so uh, myself and Brian Reed uh, will be doing Exchange sessions too. Uh, so I'll be talking about moving Exchange Unified Messaging to Office 365. Brian will be talking about uh, moving Exchange versions at speed, so rapid migration from, say, 2010 to 2013. And Graham will be talking through all the big differences between uh, what's different between Link Online and on-premises uh, with bringing Link back to earth uh, and that's the 11th of feb and you can sign up at www.ucbug.co.uk and that's in the center of birmingham so come and see us we've only got a few slots left yeah and, so, and in terms of events uh, i need to mention the nordic infrastructure conference being arranged in oslo uh, the 12th and 13th of february 
Uh, I think there actually are 20 or 25 MEPs attending and speaking at that conference, ranging from topics from uh, infrastructure to unified communication and, of course, Office 365 and, and the cloud. And um, I am doing um, uh, three link sessions or one Skype for Business session and two link sessions. And there is also lots of exchange sessions there and also Office 365 sessions. So check out nikamf.com and, and, and make sure that you attend if you are in the Nordics or uh, in, in Europe because this is actually a quite a good uh, infrastructure uh, conference. Cool. So that's the events this week, uh, and that's the end of the show. So thanks uh, to you both for joining me this evening, and thank you to Andy, who's going to, as always, do the the very, very rapid editing, and we'll be trying to get the podcast up as soon as possible, Andy. Uh, so this UC Architects episode is sponsored, again, by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technologies does announce the Instant Chime for Microsoft Link, is available. It transforms your service desk with Chime and it helps move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial at www.adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter with them uh, via Team Instant. And of course, this UC Architects episode is also sponsored by eNow. eNow is offering all UC Architect listeners a free $50 Amazon gift card when you install Mailscape for Exchange or Uniscope for Link. eNow's award-winning dashboard helps admins quickly and effectively monitor servers and create custom reports. Try Mailscape or Uniscope's free 21-day trial, get a free $50 gift card, and see how eNow makes admin life simplified. Simply visit the link in the blog post to sign up. And finally, before we go, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us, like a stalker on Twitter at The UC Architects. Be a friend to us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects. And get all corporate with us on LinkedIn and join our group, The UC Architects. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us in the iTunes store. Search for us in the Windows Phone podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using the RSS feed in your podcast downloader. And if you use Stitcher, we're also on there. So see our website for the links to everything on the show today. And we'll see you back for the next episode with Pat Hosting. Thanks for listening. Thank you.